Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. <sighs> second week of stage managing and my brain hurts <laughs> <laughs> to all my stage management friends out there I have always appreciated you and tried to go out of my way to show my appreciation after this job I will appreciate you even more <laughs> because oh my gosh <laughs> it's a lot of long hours it's a lot of long hours and like act like the actors are doing long hours in a very different way um, and it's also in a way that I've been trained to do. So like that has just kind of become my thing, but like I've never sent and received so many emails in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> well, and what it's sucks, so what sucks is so like, I'm used to getting a lot of emails every day. Well, yeah, I, I usually get, a ton get of emails junk every shit day, emails every day. But I ignore all of them, which is why my inbox currently has a little north of 600 unread emails. Oh, I, mine has way more than that. Um, At least, like, yeah. I, I, did a, I did a full dump about a month ago. <laughs> did you make that joyful noise when, I you, sure when did. you did that full dump? Okay. I sure did. <laughs> um, but, like, you can get away with that when when people, by and large, don't email you. Like, when but, when what you get is, like, uh, Amazon is having a sale, and, like, uh, because I shopped at Target once, I get notifications every time they're having any yep. kind of special. And, like, I'm like, I didn't even sign up for this. I And, like, I've unsubscribed to so many of these things over and over again, and they just keep coming. So, yes, I have never received and had to send out so many emails that are actually important and are my job yeah and i've worked a lot of weird temp jobs and like stuff where like i spent a lot of time at the computer but it wasn't emails that wasn't the situation like i wake up and i have like three emails i have to respond to and like it's kind of it's just it's just a different part of my brain I'm using. Yeah. And therefore, um, my brain is tired, but the show's going great, and it's going to be freaking fabulous. I mean, I'm laughing at rehearsal all the time. Like, I'm having a blast. I just, I get home, and I'm, like, brain tired. <laughs> like, so that's where the, uh, 
voice comes from. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's that's it. Hey, listener, do me a favor. When you email us this week, send us an audio recording of your tired noise. <laughs> You can just record it straight into your phone or whatever. It doesn't need to be a high quality recording, but I'd love to hear what your equivalent to or or whatever noise you're feeling. Like if you're not tired, if you're like on vacation this week and you're like, yeah, that's your noise. Whatever noise you make on the toilet when you when you do a nice full dump (laughs) of your email or your bells. Yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do. What is your joyful noise? What is your joyful noise? Sing it out. What is your joyful noise? I want to know. Praise everyone. That's all I got. (laughs) Well, we've reached like five minutes of the episode and we've sang a song twice. So I mean. Uh, We're actually, yeah, like five, ten. See, that's the stage manager in me. I now have like this weird internal clock. Thank you, five. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) there it is. Well, if you're feeling kind of brain dead anyway, maybe we should skip into what are doing you talking what we about? Do. I am making the most word sense I have ever thus made on this the, their podcast. What's really upsetting to me is that that's true. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Do I always sound this special? <laughs> Only before I edit. Oh. You're welcome. You lie. I know for a fact I'm brilliant, especially when I do French dialects. Yeah. Uh, which I don't think you'll have to do this week. I freaking hope not. Um, because. Uh, you this... better knock on wood, sir. Oh, well, yeah, fair enough, I guess. <laughs> I don't think you'll have to use this week a French dialect. Um because you you picked my story this week so if this is your first time listening because there's always uh new people uh we hope and if we're lucky hopefully every episode is somebody's first episode yeah so welcome uh we uh read stories and how we pick those stories is we um pick them for each other so we do a little research on the author so it not only is an entertaining podcast but it's also educational and so you learn a bit a, a little bit about an author you probably didn't know about before or you didn't know some things about if nothing um and then we read the story cold so we just we see it for the we both see it for the first time I the person reading sees it for the first time. The other person hears it for the first time and has also not read the story. That was a really bad description. This is why he does the descriptions of things that we do. Typically, <laughs> but I was curious to see how it would go if you took over. You know what? My brain uh, just you know made some made some words make sense. I'm it, sure you can edit that to make <laughs> it sound like I was very like awesome with the elevator speech. It'll uh, it it will sound downright scripted by the time the audience hears it. Did you hear that, everybody? I'm damn right scripted. Damn right scripted. I said downright scripted. Downright scripted. <laughs> Not damn right. I don't know what damn I'm right damn is. I'm damn right scripted. Damn right. Damn right I am. So before I begin this week's fun facts, uh, the my my fun facts come from basically all of my usual sources, yeah. Wikipedia, Britannica, and uh, online obituaries. If you have Google, you have our resources. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Who am I reading? This week, we've got a story from Brazilian novelist, poet, playwright and short story writer 
Joaquim Maria Machado J. Assis. Oh, this is going to be so bad. I'm going to have to do so many bad dialects. <laughs> Born on June 21st, 1839 <laughs> in Rio de Janeiro, then the capital of the Empire of Brazil. I want to apologize to every Latinx, Latin Y, <laughs> any person I know of like Latin origin right now. I, okay, I continue. genuinely don't think it's going to be an issue. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so, born in Rio de Janeiro, then the capital of the Empire of Brazil, Jesus was the grandson of freed slaves in a nation that didn't abolish slavery until he was 49 years old in 1888. Oh, my God. As a result, he did not have the easiest time growing up. As an Afro-Brazilian, he had limited access to formal education. He barely studied in public schools and never attended university. With only his intellect to rely on and being almost completely self-taught, he struggled to rise through the Wait, ranks. Wait, can I just give a shout-out right now? Is this our first, like, black author? I think so. Awesome. I think so. Awesome. That makes me very happy <laughs> because... It's been too long. It's been too long. It's been a year. It's been a year. And yeah, it's just, I mean, it, it's hard. I'm just going to put out the disclaimer here. I often look into stories by especially African-American authors. Mm -hmm. um, but because of the nature of this podcast, we try to keep it light. <laughs> and therefore, a lot of the uh, a lot of these stories are, are written about the like life of a slave. And there's nothing to joke about it's, in those. It's, it's really tough to make fun of those. I stories. don't want to make fun yeah. of those stories because they need to be read. So go read them. We're not going to read them to you. So I'm very I'm very excited that we finally have a black author represented on this podcast. So what formal schooling he did receive came thanks to his stepmother. Uh, his mother died when he was 10. His father remarried a woman who worked making candies at yum. an all-girls school. Ooh, and he was candy. And he was allowed to accompany her and listen in on classes. That makes me think of the song, Candy Girl, you rock my world. <laughs> You're so sweet. It's in a Jane Silent Bob movie. <laughs> Around this time... He made friends with an immigrant baker who taught him French and with the owner of a local bookstore and newspaper. At 15 years old, Machado J. Assis had his first poem, Ella, which means her, published in this newspaper, in his friend's newspaper. He went on to get an apprenticeship at the official press charged with the publication of government measures and was encouraged to keep writing by his boss, the paper's editor. All right. So he had a, he had a good he had a good boss, which yeah, is always nice. To which have. is always nice. Um, he then became friends with a writer and a liberal politician who taught him English. And Aziz uh, started reading Shakespeare, Lord Byron, and other literary English legends. When his father passed away, he dedicated his next published poem to his memory. All this while, he'd been writing and publishing, but making very little money at it, often only able to feed himself once a day. Until. Oh. 
the liberal party ascended to power in the empire of Brazil. Rise up! And Machado de Assis, thanks in part to his literary political connections, gained as a patron Emperor Dom Pedro II of Brazil. Wait, devil. <laughs> who hired him as director assistant in the Diario Oficial, the, the state paper. Yeah in 1867 and knighted him <laughs> oh my god this is like the sir Ar- this is like the arthur legend of like brazil right now it's like um, this like like peasant like boy like comes up and just kind yeah. of meets a wizard and i guess he just he met many wizards that like taught him different languages and exposed him to writing and, and so things he never was sudden, exposed the to the emperor became his patron and the emperor like is like you sir shall now be known as sir <laughs> like, that's yeah. amazing um that's a rags to riches story that's just makes me smile yeah uh he married a portuguese woman uh, whose name I would absolutely butcher because I didn't look up the pronunciation and Portuguese isn't close enough to Spanish or French for, yeah. but um, Carolina was her first name. Okay. Uh, apparently he impressed her with his intellect because he certainly didn't impress her with his physicality and charm being generally described as short, shy, and stammering in conversation. Oh, he's just a sweet nerd. <laughs> Oh, women like that. <laughs> Men, if you're listening, little nerds are the best. <laughs> um, her family did not approve of the interracial marriage. She was white Portuguese. He was Afro-Brazilian, as I mentioned. Um, but they didn't care, and they were happily married for 35 years. Damn right they were. Uh, Machado de Assis ended up speaking not only his native Portuguese and French and English, as I've mentioned, but he also taught himself German and Greek. He founded and became the first president of the Brazilian Academy of Letters. I feel so lazy right now. I'm here complaining <laughs> that I had to, like, send emails all day. And this guy who had no formal education taught himself six four languages. languages. Yeah. <laughs> American literary critic Harold Bloom created a list of the greatest 100 geniuses of literature and placed this guy alongside writers such as Dante, Shakespeare, and Cervantes. Wow. Okay. His wife died in 1904 after 35 years of what they called, quote, perfect married life. Mm. Four years later, lonely and missing his longtime partner, he passed away. Oh, my heart. Though he wrote a little bit in his other languages, mostly he wrote in his native tongue, nearly all of his works have been translated and pushed towards mainstream Western audiences in the century since his death, but much to the dismay of his literary supporters, he simply has not caught on outside of Brazil. People kind of don't know who he is outside of very small circles so hopefully we can start fixing that today hey 
if you listen to this story, tell five friends, because that's our pyramid scheme. Plus, we want this man to get the recognition he deserves. Yep. I think we're about to read the story. <laughs> so uh, this one was translated by one of his English-speaking fans okay. in 1921, a guy named Isaac Goldberg. Okay. Uh, but the, you'll be reading a short story that was first published in 1884 called The Fortune Teller. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's start this fire. Start the fire. Get a fortune told. The Fortune Teller by Joaquim Maria Machado Geassis. Nicely said. I made it. Yeah, you got that way better than I did my first time trying to say it out loud. My brain <laughs> might be doing better than I thought. All right. Hamlet observes to a... <sighs> <laughs> I was so excited because I saw both these names. I was like, oh, I'm doing Shakespeare right now. Hamlet observe. <laughs> you get the Portuguese name right and, and can't. And then my, my, that's, that is the end. And then can't, can't list two Shakespeare two Shakespeare characters. characters that I have like, like had scenes with and scene work. Hamlet observes to Horatio that there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our philosophy. Yeah, he does. Oh, I already like this story. And he was compared to Shakespeare. Yeah. This was the self-same explanation that was given by beautiful Rita to her lover, Camillo, on a certain Friday of November, 1869. <laughs> 69. <laughs> that, um... I can think of few conversations in which... You telling me, oh, there are more things on heaven, heaven and, and earth, earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy. I can think of few conversations where that would bode well. Where that would bode well. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like, this is a romantic conversation to her lover? Like, ooh, no. What are you trying to tell me? I'm going to tell you right now, spoiler alert, Hamlet's a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, 1869. When Camillo laughed at her for having gone the previous evening to consult a fortune teller. <laughs> okay, so that's why the quote okay. came up. Uh-oh. I, f I, I sense some self-fulfilled prophecy happening yeah. in the future here. The only difference is that she made her explanation in other words. <laughs> laugh, laugh. That's just like you men. You don't believe in anything. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Well, is is Rita going to continue to be played by Miss Hepburn? Because if that's the choice you're making, I laugh, just, laugh. I just want you to just lean into it. I think that's just the voice that comes out of me when I'm a little too tired. I think, I think that's so just, that's why it came up in grad school a lot. I think that's just your woman voice. Which is hilarious, because I am a woman. I could just talk. But no, I have to be like, laugh, laugh. Ah, uh, yeah, there you see. Ah, uh, yeah. Ha, cha, cha, cha. Yeah. All right, we're going to actually read this story, and I'm not going to make her Catherine Hepburn, because I have a feeling she's not that person. All right. Or, you know, I should just stick with it, but I think that's going to get old fast. So, 
We're gonna we're gonna do that all again. Great. Laugh, laugh. <laughs> Fuck it. Laugh, laugh. That's just like you men. You don't believe in anything. Well, let me tell you, I went there, and she guessed the reason for my coming before I ever spoke a word. Scarcely had she begun to lay out the cards when she said to me, The lady likes a certain person. <gasps> I confess that it was so, and then she continued to rearrange the cards in various combinations, t finally telling me that I was afraid you would forget me, but that there were no grounds for my fear. Well, that actually sounds like a good thing. <laughs> yes. She was wrong, interrupted Camilla with a laugh. <laughs> Don't say that, Camilla. If you <laughs> that was the wrong response, dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck, man? I think that woman just, the fortune teller just let you off the hook, and he's You're like, nah, that's wrong. Your lady goes to a fortune teller because she's, like, nervous. That, that you're going to forget about forget her and her. leave her? If the fortune teller lets you off the hook, you, like, <laughs> you go to the fortune teller and you drop her an extra ten. Yeah. You don't make fun of her. You don't go, you're wrong, silly. What? <laughs> oh. Don't say that, Camillo. If you only realized in what anguish I went there, all on your account, you know, I've told you before, don't laugh at me, don't poke fun at me. Camillo seized her hands and gazed into her eyes earnestly and long. He swore that he loved her ever so much. This is not going to end well. Ever so much that her fears were childish in any case. Should she even harbor a fear, the best fortune teller to consult was he himself. Then he reproved her, saying that it was imprudent to visit such houses, silly. Valella might learn of it and then... Dot, dot, dot. Impossible! I was exceedingly careful when I entered the place. Oh, no. Where is the house? Near here, on Giardavela Street. Nobody was passing by at the time. Rest easy, I'm not a fool. Camillo laughed again. Do you really believe in such things, he asked. It was at this point that she translated Hamlet into everyday speech. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, let me break it down and paraphrase it for you. Let me break it down for you in iambic pentameter. <laughs> waka, 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 waka. <laughs> no, that's that, actually those the opposite. Weren't, those weren't words. Well, it, I was fuzzy. I was fuzzy bearing iambic. Gotcha. <laughs> waka, waka, waka. <laughs> but it doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah. Fozzie speaks in trochies. Yeah, he's 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 like the witch in yeah. Macbeth. <laughs> Fozzie bears one of the witches in Macbeth. Waka, 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 waka. Which is why it's not funny, because it goes against our natural rhythm. <laughs> oh, why. no. Oh, no, I just ruined a Muppet. <laughs> Fozzie Bear speaks in trochaic quatrameter, <laughs> which makes him one of the witches. <laughs> and he just automatically puts people off, and that's why he can't connect with Statler and Waldorf. Oh, poor Fozzie. Poor Fozzie. He's one of the witches. He's connected to the devil. Hey, they don't necessarily mean to be evil. They just happen to connect with evil. <laughs> evil is all about perspective. 
evil Macbeth is as evil was an does. asshole. <laughs> they were just letting him know. As fortune tellers, they were just letting him know that he was going to be an asshole. Anyway, back to Hamlet into everyday speech. She translated Hamlet into everyday speech, assuring her lover that there was many a true, mysterious thing in this world. If he was skeptical, let him have patience. One thing, however, was certain. The card reader had guessed everything. What more could he desire? The best proof was that at this moment she was at ease and content. He was about to speak, but he restrained himself. He yep. did not wish to destroy her illusions. He, too, when a child and even later, had been superstitious, filled with an arsenal of beliefs which his mother had instilled. Don't blame women! <laughs> he might he might not be blaming women for his superstitions. It might just be his mother. His mother, yeah, I guess, I guess. Filled with an arsenal of beliefs which his mother had instilled and which had disappeared by the time he had reached 20. Well, isn't that convenient? Sure, the wizened old age of 20. <laughs> oh, I'm so wise. Oh, I've outgrown such childish oh, things. Oh, silly. The day on which he rid himself of all this parasitic vegetation, <laughs> leaving behind only the trunk of religion, he wrapped his superstition and his religion, which had both been included... Which had both been in... Uh, it's on the break. In In... Inculcated? Inculcated? Inculcated. Inculcated by his mother. Instilled. That's what that means. Inculcate. Inculcated. To instill. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, I can read context clues and I can figure things out sometimes. Or more specifically, to uh, instill or teach by persistent instruction. The day in which he rid himself of all this parasitic vegetation, leaving behind only the trunk of religion, he wrapped his superstition and his religion, which had both been inculcated by his mother in the same doubt, and soon arrived at a single total negation. I don't believe in Santa anymore, <laughs> and since my mom taught me about Santa and Jesus, I also don't believe in Jesus. Camillo believed in nothing. <laughs> Why? He could not have answered. He had not a solitary reason. He was content simply to deny everything. But I express myself ill, for to deny is in a sense of to affirm, and he did not formulate his unbelief. Before the great mystery, he simply shrugged his shoulders and went on. <laughs> the lovers parted in good spirits. He more happy than she, I was going to say. Rita was sure that she was loved, but Camillo was not only sure that she loved him, but saw how she trembled for him and even took risks running to fortune tellers. Oh, no. However, much he had reproved her for this, he could not help feeling flattered by it. Their secret meeting place was in the old... Bur oh, no, and they're meeting in secret? Oh, they're secret lovers. Scandal, scandal. <laughs> Their secret meeting place was in the old Barbono Street at the home of a woman that came from Rita's province. Rita went off through Menagerie Street in the direction of Bontafogo, where she resided. Camillo entered at Giarda Valla Street, keeping his eye open as he passed for the home of the card reader. Oh no, is he going to go? 
Oh, no, dude. Valella, Camillo, and Rita. Three names, one adventure, and no explanation of how it all began. Let us proceed to explain. The first two were friends since early childhood. Valella had entered the magistracy. Camillo found employment with the government against the will of his father, who <laughs> desired him to embrace the medical profession. But his father had died, and Camillo preferred to be nothing at all until his mother had procured him a departmental position. <laughs> Life's hard. At the beginning of the year, 1869, Valella returned from the interior where he had married a silly beauty. <gasps> He abandoned the magistracy and came hither to open a lawyer's office. Camillo had secured a house for him near Botafogo and had welcomed his home. Is this the gentleman, exclaimed Rita, offering Camilla her hand. You can't imagine how highly my husband thinks of you. He was always talking about you. I'm so confused. What? What's happening? It sounds like they're having an, a, an affair. illicit affair. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Valella is his wife, I think. No, Valella's his best friend. I think Rita is Valella's wife. Oh, damn. <laughs> dun, dun. Maybe? Dun, dun. Okay. Go, go back. Reread yes. some stuff. Is this the gentleman? exclaimed Rita, offering Camilla her hand. Oh, shit. You're right. Okay. Is this the gentleman? exclaimed Rita, offering Camilla her hand. You can't imagine how highly my husband thinks of you. He was always talking about you. Camillo and Valella looked at each other tenderly. They were true friends. Afterwards, Camillo confessed to himself that the that Valilla's wife did not at all belie the enthusiastic letters her husband had written to him. Really, she was most prepossessing, lively in her movements, her eyes burning, her mouth plastic and piquantly, piquantly, p-i-q-u-a-n-t-l-y. Piquantly? Piquantly? <laughs> like pecan pie? Well, I, I don't think like pecan pie, but I think like um, picante salsa. Spicy? Yes. Tangy? Pleasant, and what, am I actually defining it from pleasant, across the room? Pleasantly pungent or tart in taste. Spicy. Um, also, <laughs> appealingly provocative, charming, a piquant wit. A piquant face. You know what? Um, I my brain is more awake than I think it is, <laughs> and also picante salsa is delicious. So piquant, picantly. Yes. Other other words uh, include zesty, zingy. <laughs> I think I said savory, zingy. <laughs> yummy, <laughs> pert. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> okay. So basically, Camilla says that. Yo, dude, your himself, wife's hot. Your wife is way hotter than you let on. <laughs> like, really, she was most prepossessing, lively in her movements, her eyes burning, her mouth plastic and piquantly inquiring. Rita was a trifle older than both of the men. She was 30. <laughs> yeah, dirty 30! 
They like the older ladies. They know what they do in. For the record, <laughs> yes, uh, Joachim. Yeah, Joachim. Married a woman five years older than him. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. She was a trifle older than both the men. She was 30. Valella, 29, and Camillo, 26. So okay, she, so no, she wasn't. So she, I mean, Camillo, <laughs> maybe, four years. Yeah. But, like, that's not, I want you out of high school. That's not even a thing. The grave bearing of Valella gave him the appearance of being much older than his wife. While Camilla, <laughs> <laughs> he did not age he well. Was, he was moody and he aged rough. Much older than his wife, while Camillo was but a child in moral and practical life. He possessed neither experience nor intuition. <laughs> Because he didn't believe in anything, so he was just float dancing through life. Right, but at 26, he's only been a nihilistic atheist for about six years. The three became closely bound. Propinquity. Propinquity bred intimacy. Ooh, are they starving threesomes? This is about to get spicy. Propinquity. The state of being close to someone or something. Proximity. Oh. Or... Close kinship. Oh, we have a propinquous relationship, my love. <laughs> propinquitous. We're propinquitous. I'm yes. gonna I'm gonna use that in a sentence at least once every day for the next week. <laughs> That's definitely not gonna be annoying. <laughs> Reading Rainbow. <laughs> Hey, honor, he's doing good on Jeopardy. Yeah, in honor of LeVar Burton being the guest host of Jeopardy, I'm going to take a word that I have learned from reading, propinquity, and I'm going to use it in a sentence. That or picantly, because that is also awesome. That's another good one, yeah. The three became closely bound. Propinquity bred intimacy. Shortly after Camillo's mother died, and in this catastrophe, for such it was, the other two showed themselves to be genuine friends of his. Valella took charge of the interment of the church services and the settlement of the affairs of the deceased. Rita dispensed consolation, and none could do it better. That's what they're calling it. Just how this intimacy between Camillo and Rita grew to love, he never knew. The truth is that he enjoyed passing the hours by her side. She was his spiritual nurse, almost a sister. Ew. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> like maybe like a like a sister as in like a nun. Like a like a because uh, uh, spirit he says spiritual nurse like uh like a, a like a therapist right. like a priest that you can almost like to. a sister. All right, cool. All right, I can I can I guess like some people get hot for nuns. I mean that is a real thing. <laughs> like, it's also a whole corner of the internet. People who turned on by nuns want to get it on with nuns. A bunch of people went to Catholic school when yep. they were going through puberty, and like you know, I know I was hot for some teacher when I was in high school. They just weren't dressed like you know nuns and priests. They were dressed <laughs> like people. So instead, I'm attracted to the cross country teacher and not nuns. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he also he actually taught social studies. He didn't teach cross country. Well, but. of course, because the social studies teacher is, <laughs> is always, always the gym teacher. Also a coach. Yes, yes, very true, Mr. Shud, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> 
Everyone that went to West High knows what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. He married the art teacher. So, you know, it, they're real cute. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Very sweet. I wonder if the nuns had to teach, like, track and field. Oh, I'm sure. Nuns? Wouldn't, if you were running, wouldn't I, the flying nun thing give you an unfair I think, advantage? I think they get to wear different things when they are doing recreational. There, there is a pants situation. Like... You don't it's have fine, to always be in no, your habit. Yes, no, I, I understand, but you just skipped right over my joke. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna well, go back and make you acknowledge. Wouldn't the flying nun thing give you an unfair advantage? Yes. In parachuting, paratrooping, uh, I bet about a lot of nuns are really good at like ski jump. Uh <laughs> and get extra airtime with, yeah, with the you habit. Get crazy hang time. Yeah. Probably do some some uh, pretty amazing dives. Great on like skateboard. Oh yeah, I want to see a I want to see a nun compete in skateboarding at the Olympics next next time. I want to see if in character generation you can turn a Tony Hawk skater pro character into a nun. Tony Hawk, if you're listening, um, <laughs> the next the next version we're gonna need a nun character up in there. Yeah. Yep. All right. Anyway, she can be a sexy nun or not. I don't care. Aren't all nuns sexy? <laughs> No. <laughs> Just how this intimacy between Camilla and Rita grew to love, he never knew. The truth is that he enjoyed passing the hours at her side. She was his spiritual nurse, almost a sister. But most of all, she was a woman and beautiful. The aroma of femininity. This is what he yearned for in her. That's not all he yearned for in her. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying he didn't just want to smell her? I think you wanted to do that too. Her, her aroma of femininity. <laughs> and yearned for it in her. He, this is what he yearned for in her and about her, seeking to incorporate it into himself. They read the same books. They went together to the theater and for walks. He taught her cards and chess, and they played of nights. She badly. He to make himself agreeable, but a little less badly. <laughs> Thus much, as far as external things are concerned. And now came personal intimacies. The timorous... Timorous? Timorous eyes of Rita, so the alluring. Timorous. Showing or suffering from nervousness, fear, ah. or a lack of confidence. Ah, so she was having second thoughts about she was, their, their, uh, their friendship. Or at least she was playing hard to get. And now came personal intimacies. The timorous eyes of Rita that so often sought his own, consulting them before they questioned those of her own husband, the touches of cold hands and unwanted communion. On one of his birthdays, he received from Valella a costly cane and from Rita a hastily penciled ordinary note expressing good wishes. <laughs> <laughs> it was then that he learned to read within his own heart. He could not tear his eyes away from the missive. Commonplace words, it is true, but there are sublime commonplaces, or at least delightful ones. The old chaise in which for the first time you rode with your beloved, snuggled together, is as good as the chariot of Apollo. 
Such is man, and such are the circumstances that surround him. Camillo sincerely wished to flee the situation, but it was already beyond his power. Rita, like a serpent, was charming him, winding her coils about him. She was crushing his bones, darting her venomous fangs into his lips. He was helpless, overcome. Vexation, fear, remorse, desire, all this he felt in a strange confusion. But the battle was short, and the victory deliriously intoxicating. Farewell, all scruple! The shoe now fitted snugly enough upon the foot, and there they both launched upon the high road, arm in arm, joyfully treading the grass and gravel without suffering anything more than lonesomeness when they were away from each other. As to Valella, his confidence in his wife and his esteem for his friend continued the same as before. So well, it's not so bright. Valella works really hard, and that's why he looks a little old, and he has no idea what's going on. He was a little checked out. One day, however, Camilla received an anonymous letter. God damn it! Which called him immoral and pure perfidy. Per, I know. I know what this word is. One day, however, Camillo received an anonymous letter which called him immoral and perfidious and warned him that his adventure was known to all. Perfidious means like... Deceitful just, yeah. and untrustworthy. Yeah. That's actually a word I knew. Uh, I was pretty excited about it. I was like, I actually know what this is. I just have to make sure my mouth knows what it is. Camillo took fright. And in order to ward off suspicion, began to make his visits to Valella's house more rare. Oh, see, that, that that's, that's not helping. I'm just going to stop visiting my friend because he's suspicious that I'm doing something with his wife. So I'm going to stop hanging out with him. That seems like the opposite of what he should do. No, what you should do is stop sleeping with his well, wife. Yes, that, that, that absolutely... <laughs> The latter asked him the reason for his prolonged absence. Camillo answered that the cause was a youthful flirtation. Well, technically true. Simplicity evolved into cunning. Camillo's absences became longer and longer, and then his visits ceased entirely. Into this course, there may have entered a little self-respect, the idea of diminishing his obligations to the husband in order to make his own actions appear less treacherous. Aww. He's like, if I just stop being friends with him, then this affair then I'm not doing anything isn't wrong. as bad. It does not work that way. It was at this juncture that Rita, uncertain and in fear, ran to the fortune teller to consult her upon the real reason for Camillo's actions. As we have seen, the card reader restored the wife's confidence and the young man reproved her for having done what she did. A few weeks passed. Camillo received two or three more anonymous letters written with such passionate anger that they could not have been prompted by mere regard for virtue. Surely they came from some violent rival of his. In this opinion, Rita concurred, formulating in ill-composed words of her own this thought. Virtue is indolent and stingy, wasting neither time nor paper. Only self-interest is alert and prodigal. I believe it's indolent. Indolent. Ooh, what's that mean? Lazy. Lazy. 
In this opinion, Rita concurred, formulating in ill-composed words of her own, this thought. Virtue is indolent and stingy, wasting neither time nor paper. Only self-interest is alert and prodigal. But this did not help ease Camillo. He now feared lest the anonymous writer should inform Valella, in which case the catastrophe would follow fast and implacably. Implacably? Implacably. Implacably, that's the word. We got another one? (laughs) Sometimes I read good. Remember, this guy speaks six languages and didn't even go to school. I have a master's degree, everybody. I just want to point that out. <laughs> um, implacably, uh, relentlessly, okay. unstoppably. I am unstoppably stupid when it comes to words. <laughs> I, am, I am implacably special when it comes to vocabulary. <laughs> Rita agreed that this was possible. <laughs> Thanks, Rita. Yes. Yes, you are correct. If your husband found out that you were cheating on him with his best friend from forever Childhood. ago, he'll probably be, be upset. Yeah. Very well, she said. Give me the envelopes in which the letters came so that I may compare the handwriting with that of the mail which comes to him. If any arrives with writing resembling the anonymous script, I'll keep it and tear it up. Yeah, this is a flawless plan. But no such letter appeared. A short time after this, however, Valella commenced to grow grave, speaking very little as if something weighed upon his mind. Rita hurried to communicate the change to her lover, and they discussed the matter earnestly. Her opinion was that Camillo should renew his visits to their home and sound her husband. It might be that Valella would confide in him some business worry. With this, Camillo disagreed. To appear after so many months was to confirm the suspicions that denunciations of the anonymous letters. It was better to just be careful, to give each other up for a few weeks. They arranged means for communicating with each other in case of necessity and separated in tears. Okay, so she basically said, yeah, I told you just stopping, like, just disappearing from your best friend is going to arouse suspicion. And she was right. And he goes, no, because if I show up again, then the letters like like then that's also suspicious. So now we should just stop seeing each other for a while. We'll just stop talking for a while, except we'll still keep talking in a way. (laughs) Okay. this is all right. I'm going to stop calling you. I'm going to stop calling you. It's cool if I text you. I'm going to text you eggplants all night long. On the following day, Camilla received at his department this letter from Valella. Come immediately to our house. I must talk to you without delay. Rut-row. It was past noon. Camilla left at once. As he reached the street, it occurred to him that it would have been much more natural for Valella to have called him to his office. Why to his house? Ooh. All this betoken a very urgent matter. Moreover... Whether it was reality or illusion, it seemed to Camilla that the letter was written in a trembling hand. He sought to establish a connection between all these things and the news Rita had brought to him the night before. Come immediately to our house. I must talk to you without delay, he repeated. His eyes stared at the note. 
In his mind's eye, he beheld the climax of a drama. Rita cowed, weeping, Valella indignant, seizing his pen and dashing off the letter, certain that he, Camillo, would answer in person and waiting to kill him as he entered. <laughs> it's like I do theater. This is... <laughs> I basically just said that's what's going to happen. This is a... This is a... Um, it's it's a soap opera it's or a telenovela. telenovela. Yeah. Camillo shuddered with terror. Then he smiled weakly. In any event, the idea of drawing back was repugnant to him, so he continued on his way. As he walked, it occurred to him to step into his rooms. He might find there a message from Rita explaining everything, but he found nothing, nobody. He returned to the street, and the thought that he had been discovered grew every moment more convincing. Yes, the author of the previous anonymous communications must have denounced him to the husband. Perhaps by now Valella knew. The very suspicion of his calls, without any apparent reason, with the flimsiest of pretexts, would confirm everything else. Camillo walked hastily along, agitated, nervous. He did not read the letter again, but the words hovered persistently before his eyes, or else, which was even worse, they seemed to be murmured into his ears by the voice of Valella himself. Come immediately to our house. I must talk to you without delay. This is like some Othello shit happening right now, but like... He actually did something wrong. Or is this a dagger that I see before yeah. me? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. It's yeah. It's like these words that were spoken. I can't. This ah. is out damn spot. Yeah. This is spoken yeah. thus by the voice of the other. They seemed pregnant with mystery and menace. Come immediately. Why? It was now merely one o'clock. Camilla's agitation waxed greater with each passing moment. So clearly did he imagine what was about to take place that he began to believe it in reality, to see it before his very eyes. Yes, without a doubt, he was afraid. He even considered arming himself, thinking that if nothing should happen, he would lose nothing by this useful precaution. Yeah, because nothing bad ever happens when you, when introduce you a show gun. up with a gun. Oh, God. Didn't you learn anything from Chekhov? Well, no, because they were... He precedes Chekhov. All right, Camillo, let me explain to you the idea <laughs> of Chekhov's gun. <laughs> If you introduce a weapon into the room, it's probably going to get used. God, someone's going to get shot. <laughs> but at once, he rejected the idea. Yay, no guns. <laughs> yeah, but it's been brought up. I Somebody's going to get shot. Uh, but at once, he rejected the idea, angry with himself, and hastened his steps towards Kokora Square, there to take a Tilbury. What's a Tilbury? <laughs> Is it spelled the way it sounds? T-I-L-B-U-R-Y. It is a town in England. It is the last name of a woman named Charlotte. It is a two-wheeled carriage oh, with yes. or without top, developed in the early 19th century by the London firm Tilbury. Oh, lovely. All right. He arrived, entered, and ordered the driver to be off at full speed. <laughs> the sooner the better, he thought. I can't stand this uncertainty. But the very sound of the horse's clattering hooves increased his agitation. Time was flying, and he would be face to face with danger soon enough. When they had come almost to the end of Guadavella Street, the Tilbury had come to a stop. The thoroughfare was blocked by a coach that had broken down. Camillo surveyed the obstruction and decided to wait. 
After five minutes had gone by, he noticed that there at his left, at the very foot of the Tilbury, was the fortune teller's house. Oh, no. The very same Rita had once consulted. Never, as at this moment, had he so desired to believe in card reading. He looked closer, saw that the windows were closed, while all the others on the street were opened, filled with folks curious to see what was the matter. It looked as all the world like the dwelling of indifferent fate. Camillo leaned back in his seat so as to shut all of this from his view. His excitement was intense, extraordinary, and from the deep hidden recesses of his mind there began to emerge specters of early childhood, old beliefs, banished superstitions. The coachman proposed another route. He shook his head and said that he would wait. He leaned forward to get a better look at the card reader's house. Then he made a gesture of self-ridicule. It had entered his mind to consult the fortune teller, who seemed to be hovering over him far, far above with vast, ash-colored wings. She disappeared, reappeared, and then her image was lost. I'm so tense. And then in a few moments, the ash-colored wings stirred again, nearer, flying about him in narrowing circles. In the street, men were shouting, dragging away the coach. There, now, push, that's it, now! In a short while, the obstruction was removed. Camillo closed his eyes, trying to think of other things, but the voice of Rita's husband whispering in his ears the words of the letter, Come immediately, and he could behold the anguish of the drama. He trembled. The house seemed to look right at him. His feet instinctively moved as if to leave the carriage and go in. Camilla found himself before a long, opaque veil, he thought rapidly of the inexplicability of so many things. The voice of his mother was repeating to him a host of extraordinary happenings, and the very sentence of the Prince of Denmark kept echoing within. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in our philosophy. What could he lose by it if... He jumped out onto the pavement just before the fortune teller's door. He told the driver to wait for him and hastened into the entry, ascending the stairs. I am so freaked out. <laughs> this is so good. If I ever enter a crossroads in my life and you find that I am spending large periods of time quoting and dwelling on the mental state of Hamlet, please just remind me how that story turned out. Please remind you that therapy is a wonderful way to uh, get, talk through some stuff. Well, that too, but I'm just saying, like, if I keep seeing a bunch of parallels to Hamlet in my life, that probably means that my life is not on a great trajectory. He jumped out to the pavement, just before the fortune teller's door, he told the driver to wait for him and hastened into the entry, ascending the stairs. There was little light. The stairs were worn away from the many feet that had sought them. The banister was smooth and sticky, but he saw and felt nothing. He stumbled up the stairs and knocked. Nobody appeared. He was about to go down, but it was too late now. Curiosity had whipped his blood and his heart beat with violent throbs. He turned back to the door and knocked once, twice, three times. He a beheld lady. what? A lady. A lady. Three times a lady. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, yes, wait, three times. 
he beheld a woman. That's what it says. Maybe that's where the song comes from. Once, twice, three times. Oh, a lady. <laughs> he beheld a woman. It was the card reader. Camillo said that he had come to consult her and she bade him enter. Thence they climbed to the attic by a staircase even worse than the first and buried in deeper gloom. At the top, there was a garret, ill-lighted by a small window. Old furniture, somber walls, and an air of poverty augmented rather than destroyed the prestige of the occupant. The fortune teller told him to be seated before the table, and she sat down on the opposite side, with her back to the window, so that whatever little light came from without fell full upon Camillo's face. She opened a drawer and took out a pack of worn, filthy cards. While she rapidly shuffled them, she peered at him closely, not so much with a direct gaze from under her eyes. She was a woman of 40, Italian, thin and swarthy, with large... <laughs> swarthy? <laughs> swarthy is a good word. It is. With large, crisp, cunning eyes. She placed three cards upon the table and said, Let us first see what has brought you here. The gentleman has just received a severe shock and is in great fear. Camillo, astounded, nodded affirmatively. And he wishes to know, she continued, whether anything will happen to him or not. To me and her, he explained excitedly. The fortune teller did not smile. She simply told him to wait. She took the cards hastily once more and shuffled them with her long, tapered fingers, whose nails were so long and unclean from neglect. She shuffled them well. So it's like my nails during COVID. <laughs> <laughs> they were so long and unclean from neglect. She shuffled them well once, twice, thrice. And oh, it's like the, it's Macbeth. There's all the threes. Right, so now you have to read all of her lines in trochaic quatrameter. I feel like I kind of am a little bit. Once, thrice, thrice, and she began to lay them out. Camillo's eyes were riveted upon her in anxious curiosity. The cards tell me. Camillo leaned forward to drink in her words one by one. Then she told him to fear nothing. Nothing would happen to him or the other. He... The third was aware of not. Nevertheless, great caution was indispensable. Envy and rivalry were at work. She spoke to him of love that bound them, of Rita's beauty. Camillo was bewildered. The fortune teller stopped talking, gathered the cards, and locked them in the drawer. The lady has restored peace to my spirit, he said, offering his hand across the table and pressing that of the card reader. She arose laughing. Go, she said. Go, ragazzo innamorato. There's an Italian phrase that I'm going to have you look up because I bet it's important. Ragazzo innamorato, boy in love. Oh, no. <laughs> Go, she said. Go, ragazzo innamorato. And arising... She touched his head with her index finger. Camillo shuddered as if it were the hand of one of the original Sibyls, and he, too, arose. 
the fortune teller went to the bureau upon which lay a plate of raisins, took a cluster of them and commenced to eat them, showing two rows of teeth that were white as her nails were black. That's a weird detail. What is happening? (laughs) Even in this common action, the woman possessed an air all her own. Camillo, anxious to leave, was at a loss how much to pay. He did not know her fee. Raisins cost money, he said at length, taking out his pocketbook. How much do you want to send for? Ask your heart, she replied. This whole story is this is amazing. Me really unsettled. This is fucking amazing. Camillo took out a note for ten mil rays and gave it to her. The eyes of the card reader sparkled. Her usual fee was two mil rays. I can see easily that the gentleman loves his lady very much, and well he may, for she loves the gentleman very deeply too. Go in peace with your mind at ease, and take care as you descend the staircase. It's dark. Don't forget your hat. The fortune teller had already placed the note in her pocket and accompanied him down the stairs, chattering rather gaily. At the She says anything really rather gaily? At the bottom of the first flight, Camillo bid her goodbye and ran down the stairs that led to the street, while the card reader, rejoicing in her large fee, turned back to the garret, humming a baccarole. Camillo found the Tilbury waiting for him. The street was now clear. He entered and the driver whipped his horse into a fast trot. To Camillo, everything had now changed for the better, and his affairs assumed a brighter aspect. The sky was clear and the faces of the people he passed were so merry. Oh, no. This makes me so much more uncomfortable. It's a lovely day. It's like, oh, no. Can you tell me how, how to, to get, how to get, get to Sesame Street? <laughs> yeah, there's some real dissonance happening right now. He even began to laugh at his fears, which he now saw were puerile? Puerile. Puerile. Childishly silly and trivial. Ah, there you go. Puerile. Weird that we just sang the diminished version of the Sesame Street song. He even began to laugh at his fears, which he now thought were puerile. He recalled the language of Villela's letter and perceived at once that it was most friendly and familiar. How in the world had he ever been able to read any threat of danger into those words? He suddenly realized that they were urgent, however, and that he had done ill to delay so long. It it might be some serious business matter. Faster, faster, he cried to the driver. And he began to think of a plausible explanation of his delay. He even contemplated taking advantage of this incident to reestablish his former intimacy with Villela's household. Together with his plans, there kept echoing in his soul the words of the fortune teller. In truth, she had guessed the object of his visit, his own state of mind, and the existence of a third. Why, then, was it reasonable to suppose that she had guessed the rest correctly, too? For the unknown present is the same as the future. 
And thus slowly and persistently the young man's childhood superstitions attained the upper hand and mystery clutched him in its iron claws. At times he was ready to burst into laughter, and with a certain vexation he did laugh at himself. But the woman, the cards, her dry, reassuring words, and her goodbye... Go, go, ragazzo immortato, and finally that farewell barcarole, the song. So lively and gracious, such were the new elements which together with the old formed within him a new and abiding faith. The truth is that his heart was happy and impatient, recalling the happy hours of the past and anticipating those yet to come. As he passed through Gloria Street, Camillo gazed across the sea, far across where the waters and the heavens meet in endless embrace, and the sight gave him a sensation of the future, long, long, and infinite. And from here it was but a moment's drive to Villela's home. He stepped out, thrust the iron gate open, and entered. That's been his problem from the beginning, is he? Thrust the iron thrusting gate open in, and entered. Thrusting into open gates has been his problem and from entering. the beginning. Yep. The house was silent. He ran up the six stone steps, and scarcely had he had time to knock when the door opened and Valella loomed before him. Pardon my delay. It was impossible to come sooner. What's the matter? Valella made no reply. His features were distorted. He beckoned Camillo to step within. As he entered, Camillo could not repress a cry of horror. There upon the sofa lay Rita, dead in a pool of blood. <laughs> Valella seized the lover by the throat and then, with two bullets, stretched him dead upon the floor. That's it! Uh -huh. <laughs> First of all, we were right about the Chekhov's gun thing. Yep. Second of all, how is this not a movie? Well, I mean, it's like it, it is several movies, episodes of soap operas. Well, no, but like it's also like movie. Like, what movie am I thinking of that ends like this? That I do not know. I mean, there's a little bit of Norma Desmond there at the end. If yeah, because yeah. she's like, "Please come," and he shows up because he's like, oh, "I'll say goodbye to her once more." If he'd shown up with what's her face, uh, Betty, they both probably would have died, and she would have killed herself. Read the but last sentence. I'm gonna read the last paragraph. Okay. Villella made no reply. His features were distorted. He beckoned Camillo to step within. As he entered, Camillo could not repress a cry of horror. There upon the sofa lay Rita, dead in a pool of blood. Valella seized the lover by the throat, so Camillo, and with two bullets stretched him. Oh, so he didn't kill himself. He didn't kill himself. He shot him twice. Yep. Sir. So do we think the fortune teller was the one who told Valella and that she was likely on his payroll I don't, which is why she knew everything that was going on I think Rita ended up telling him because she was guilty the whole time I think he knew because 
it, they're the they're best friends. It's like a hundred movies have been made about this and books, and like the fortune teller never told a lie. So I I want to go back actually and like look at what the fortune teller actually said to both of them, because she said you will have a long. Uh, he will never forget you. He will never forget you. Mm-hmm. Um. He won't because. You're why he died. Yep. And you will be together for a long while. Not in this plane of existence. Oh my God, that fucked me up. Oh, I'm sweaty and like super tense and like also like incredibly happy in my mouth because of the way those <laughs> words were structured. Um. Wow. Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely though that was epic classic literary tragedy that was like that was straight up a shakespeare play complete with everybody dies in the end a complete with the hamlet ending like the lovers die (laughs) well machado jazz nice job yeah i i'm obsessed that was cool we will be reading another one of his stories holy crap i forgot to be funny there for a while yeah so thanks dear listener I mean, there was Thank still a lot of for, funny in there. Thank you for making it to the end of that. This, um, I'm pretty sure once I'm done editing it, this will not turn out to have been one of our funniest episodes, but I hope you enjoyed the the story anyway, because that was pretty fucking cool. I mean, we did say, we, there, was, there was funny in there, but, yeah, there, but there, there came a point in the story where I'm like, I don't want to stop because yeah. I did, because I couldn't, because I'm going to be haunted tonight by the fortune teller shoving raisins in her mouth. That was such That's a bizarre detail. Terrifying. But then I, when he said raisins cost money, I went because like I were, and I know this detail from watching the movie From Hell. Grapes were very expensive. They still, I mean, honestly, for fruit, they still are. Right. But like that was a sign of wealth, and raisins are dried grapes. So they actually are like I know we take them for advantage because like they're like grapes that have gone sh- to shit, or like have just been dried out. But, like, there is something in that, like, clearly business is good, but how much do I owe you? Like, well, so then kinda, maybe she was on Villela's payroll if. Yeah, I don't know. All right. So here's what I really want to hear from you, listener, Woo! is um, A, what do you think that whole sequence with the raisins was about? And B, what do you think? Did the fortune teller tell Valella? Was she working with him? Or did she just really botch that last card reading? I don't where think she, she said, botched it, though. Well, what she said was, nothing will happen to you or the other. The third knows not. So she either lied or she botched it. Oh my gosh, that was so good. I'm I could go on like uh, honestly right now I'm jazzed. I'm like <laughs> Oh, we got your brain fixed. My brain is fixed. That story <laughs> fixed my brain. Like honestly, I am so like alert right now and just like, oh, that that was that was some good literature right there. That was that was a gem. Thank you for finding that. My pleasure. I think we have to end or I'm just going to keep like yeah. talking because uh, I'm agree. so happy. So, uh, listener, if you want to message us this week with a secret passcode, please send us the words joyful noise. Joy- <laughs> joyful noise. 
full noise. That was right at the beginning. What about send us send us the word thrust the gate open? <laughs> um, no, I like joyful noise. That's fine. Joyful noise. Joyful noise. It was that or poop sounds. <laughs> send us what noises you make when you poop. <laughs> like, no. Well, no, like the words poop sounds. No, just joyful noise. Joyful noise. Send us joyful noise because let me know after that story. I need some joyful noise, even though I'm super like amped about it. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Anyway. And if you can attach with the words joyful noise, a sound of you making a joyful noise. Yeah. Um, we'd very much appreciate that. Yeah. And then when you're done doing all of that, please like, please subscribe, please share with five friends and tell them to do the same. Yeah. If you haven't already, do give us a review on Podbean or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. And uh, check us out on Instagram and Twitter and Face page and all of the other things yeah. that Heather deals with because I don't understand how computers work. Social media. And I think that's pretty much it. I think that's it. I have nothing else to say. So until next time, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I love raisins.